Well, good morning. Glad you could be with us. And if you're watching online, we're glad you're joining us there. And uh, for all of you down at F3 as well, good morning. Uh, glad you're with us. The um, little, it was a little country on the southernmost tip of South America, Tierra del Fuego, and an early missionary to uh, that little region of the world was shocked when he learned how the natives would arise every morning, and as the sun would uh, come up, they would begin the day shrieking and howling as if in great pain. And it was baffling to him, and he found out soon after why they would meet the sun every morning with such agony. It's not a very easy place to live in that southernmost tip of South America. And their life was filled with a lot of misery and a lot of hopelessness. And in their culture, they just got up in the morning and faced every day with a howl and a shriek. Now, I don't know if you do that every once in a while, but uh, you may feel like it. Um, life comes at us pretty hard sometimes. And sometimes you may feel like beginning the day with a, a shriek of agony, like, um, you know, instead of good morning, Lord, it's uh, good Lord, it's morning. Someone once said, be kind to everyone because everyone you meet is fighting a battle. And some of those trials and tribulations that we face are because of our own stupidity, our own sinful actions, just the stuff that we've done. But so much of it is not that. It's those unexpected things in life that come out of seemingly nowhere and hit us upside down the head. The loss of a, a loved one or, or a friend, the loss of a job or some undeserved criticism. And then, as a follower of Jesus Christ, certainly in most parts of the world and even increasingly here, it's, it could be um, uh, a, a laugh at us because of our faith. It could be a rejection by a family member um, because we are followers of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, maybe we feel like Charlie Brown, the great philosopher who, pondering his, uh, his life, said yesterday, for one brief moment, I was happy. But just when I thought I was winning at the game of life, there was a flag thrown on the play, and life dealt me a horrible blow. It was uh, Job who put it this way in Job chapter 14, man who is born of woman is short-lived and full of trouble. Like a flower he comes forth and withers, he flees like a shadow and does not remain. <laughs> Does that summarize your life? Short-lived and full of trouble. Uh, now, obviously, everybody in this room has had some kind of trouble. And maybe not right now, but um, we will. That's just part and parcel of living in this fallen world. Pain, suffering, um, tribulations. One person described Christians who are dealing with these sort of things in their life as either a potato Christian or an egg Christian. A potato Christian goes into, into the hot waters of, of trials and tribulations hard, and, and they come out very pliable. The egg kind of Christian goes in very soft and comes out very hard. And if you think about it, I don't know which one of those is better than the other. Do you want to come off soft and pliable, or do you want to be hardened like steel? How do you respond to suffering? How, how are we responding to the situations in life that um, are not very fun? 
the trials and tribulations of life. We're studying through the book of Romans as we read in that prayer, kind of a prayer of summary this morning. And uh, specifically in that section, chapters 5 through 8, a section about how we are to live out the Christian life based on what Christ has done for us, chapters 1 through 4. Um, it starts back in chapter 5, this, this section, and uh, it begins with, um, uh, I think, a perspective of how we are to go through trials and tribulations in life. Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5 says, not only this, but we also exalt in our tribulations, knowing that tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who was given to us. Um, now, of course, that section uh, is based on uh, what he said in chapter 5, verse 1, in the opening verse. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ. That's chapter 8, verse 1. Chapter 5, verse 1 says, therefore, having been now justified by faith, we have peace with God. A declaration of God's justice. You have been declared right before God. God looks at us this morning, if you've trusted Christ as your personal Savior, and He does not see our sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ that has been brought to our account. Jesus took our sin upon Himself and died in our place. And in exchange of our sin, He took His righteousness and brought it over to our account. And God, the righteous judge in His court of law, the spiritual divine court of law, looks down on our account and he sees the righteousness of Jesus that has been applied there, and he declares us to be acquitted of all wrongs, justified, made right in his eyes. And therefore, having been declared right before God, Paul says we have peace with God. The idea of a right standing with God. But the question is, that is our position that is how God sees us in Christ, but how are we living it out? And Romans chapter 5 through 8 is that section that's trying to help us understand how we are to live out in our practice, in our day-to-day -day practice, what we are by our position in Christ. This is how God views us judicially, right in His eyes, declared right, acquitted of all crimes. We are justified. But what does that look like in daily practice? Because none of us lives a perfectly righteous life. And so the doctrine of sanctification is helping us understand how we live out in our daily practice what we are by our position. And what Paul is saying here in uh, chapter 5, beginning there again in verse 3, we can exalt in tribulations because tribulations bring about perseverance, and perseverance proven character and proven character, hope, and hope doesn't disappoint. You see, God is moving us towards proven character. That's Christ-likeness. What does that look like? What does what the life of Christ look like in our life? Well, it's what Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5. He calls it the fruit of the Spirit. What does it look like? Love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's the life of Christ that can be 
manifested in our life. That is the proven character, this word. That is Christ's likeness. That is the goal of where we're going in this process of sanctification. And so the proper role, Paul is saying, of tribulation and suffering is to help produce within us endurance, a, a bearing up, a perseverance, which leads to this ultimate goal of proven character. Now, that's a really important term that Paul uses here. Proven character. It's a Greek word, dokame, which simply means to be approved through testing, approval that comes through testing. Being tested and found to be genuine or authentic. It's that testing by fire where the, where the impurities are burned out and what remains is, has been proven to be of quality. Dokame. It's a really important term used in the New Testament. Let me give you some examples of this. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. If you've ever been in a program called Awana, this is the Awana key verse. Be diligent to present yourselves approved, there's the word, to God as a workman who does not need to be shamed, handling accurately, rightly dividing the word of truth. Present yourself, dokame, as an approved, tested and found to be approved. Or 1 Peter, great passage, 1 Peter chapter 1. In this you greatly rejoice, even though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials, so that the proof, there's the word, dokame, so that the genuineness, some of our translations say, the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire, may be found to result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Tested and found approved. Or James chapter 1, verse 12, Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial, for once he has been approved or I think the NIV or one of the other translations says who, they have stood the test. He will receive the crown of life, which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Tested and found approved. Now here's another use of it, only in a, in a negative. 1 Corinthians 9. I discipline my body, Paul said. I make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified or disapproved. That's the word with a little negative in front of it. I'm going to preach to others, but I have to discipline myself, my body, lest after doing everything that people look at and say, my, what, isn't he a, a righteous person? Isn't he a godly man? That I won't stand before God and found that when the testing is over, what, res, what results has not been approved. See, one day we're going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed or, or receive what is due for his deeds in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. And the word bad there is actually a word that means useless. It's just been burned up. It's, it's useless. We must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Every one of us as believers in Jesus Christ are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of what we have done, whether good or useless. Now, Paul is saying that suffering, the trials and tribulations of life, come into our life 
and can give us that ability to endure and persevere under those trials and tribulations so that as we do, the end result is we were tested and found to be approved. Proven character. Tested and found proven before God. And as we just saw in 2 Corinthians, then rewarded accordingly in eternity. Now, this is why back in chapter 5, again, verse 4 and 5, it says that proven character leads to hope. And hope doesn't disappoint. Confident expectation. As we're going through the pressure cooker of life and the situations that we're facing, as we persevere through that, and we'll see what that looks like in just a moment, and he's forming him, his, his life in us, that Christ-like life, that proven character, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, as that is being formed in us, it gives us hope. Hope. So instead of finding ourselves, as we've looked at earlier in our study of the book of Romans, under the wrath of God, because chapter 1, verse 18, the wrath of God uh, is against all unrighteousness and sinfulness of men. Instead of finding ourselves and under the disapproval of God, and remember, let's, let's get that clear in our heads again, and if you're a guest with us, sorry, you know, we, we kind of do these things sequentially, these studies, but the wrath of God, you'll dust off your brains here, it goes way back to whenever it was in February. Man, doesn't that seem a long time ago? My goodness. You all look a lot older, that's for sure. But back then, chapter 1, the wrath of God, when we de determined to live our life in our self-centered way, we tell God basically by our actions and our attitude, we don't need you right now. We can handle life ourselves, God. I think we'll figure it out by ourselves, God. And we kind of put God on the shelf. God lets us put him on the shelf. And his wrath is, the, is like the retreating of his presence, of his grace in our life. And the consequences of that, we experience the full brunt of our own self-centered sinfulness, which is deadly. The wages of sin is death. doesn't mean we drop over dead. It, it might mean that, but it means that the, the, the spiritual quality of our life has a stench of death, no joy, the opposite of the Christ-likeness. No love, no joy, no peace, no gentleness, no self-control in our life. We run, we, we, we run rampant in sin, and there's death. The wages of sin is death. And that's the wrath of God. We're experiencing His wrath. He steps back and says, all right, go for it. If that's how you want to live, go for it. But as we, in the midst of trials and tribulations that come our way, God is using that to, to bring about that persevering strength so that we have proven character developed in our life. Instead of coming under the wrath of God, we come under His approval. That's what Paul was saying in chapter 5, verse 9. Much more than having been justified by His blood, we shall be saved, we'll be delivered from the wrath of God through Him, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of His Son, much more, having been reconciled, that's who we are as believers, much more than that, we shall be saved, we shall be delivered from what? From His disapproval, from His wrath. We, we're saved, we're delivered from that. How? 
through his life, by his life. And remember, that little phrase, by his life, now kicks us off into Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8, where we learn how that works, how we live by his life. Remember chapter 6, verse 4? Therefore, having been buried with him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For we have become united with him in the likeness of his death. Certainly we shall also, also be in the likeness of his resurrection. Our identity with Christ. The moment we put our faith in Christ, our life is hidden with Christ. Some mysterious spiritual truth. We are identified with Jesus. What's true of Jesus is true of me. He died, it was as if I died with him. He was buried, it was like I was buried with him. He rose from the dead, it's like I rose from the dead with him. And that resurrected life of Jesus, that new life, that regeneration that takes place as we trust Christ as our Savior, allows us now to walk in newness of life, proven character. Christ's likeness lived out in our, in our life. So saved by his life, we're delivered from the disapproval of God through our identity with Jesus Christ. And so, Romans chapter 6, 7, 8, I think, I don't want to oversimplify it, but I think it's asking like these two important questions. The first question is, how is it possible for me to persevere in suffering in order to have this proven character? How do I persevere? If that's God's plan, proven character, Christ-like, righteousness lived out, sanctification, to be in my daily practice what I am by virtue of my position in Christ, how God sees me as righteous, but how I can live that righteousness out, how is it possible then for me to persevere in suffering, which is God's means by which that proven character is formed in me and of course his answer is well it's understanding our union with christ our identity with christ and then walking in the power of that romans chapter 8 walking in the power of the holy spirit how do i do that romans chapter 8 setting my mind on things of the spirit and when i set my mind on things of the spirit romans chapter 8 verse 6 what do i get peace and life that's the first question. I think a second question is, so what blocks the sanctification process? What keeps me from experiencing spiritual victory? What derails that whole process? And Romans chapter 7 said, well, it's my flesh, my sin. This new inner me is still encased, he said, in a body of sin, which is susceptible, vulnerable to the the, the allurements of Satan, the temptations that can draw me away from my affections to God when I succumb to that. And so as we saw last week in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, that very kind of graphic um, terminology, Romans chapter 8, verse 13, he says, for if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. If you live according to the flesh, you're going to experience that stench of death in your life. No love, no joy, no peace, no patience, no kindness, no goodness, no self-control. If we are living according to that flesh, Romans chapter 7, that's going to be our experience. We must die. But, he said, if through the Spirit of God, who's been given to us, if by the Spirit you are 
putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Kill it, he said. We talked about that last week. Kill it. Put it to death. That issue of sin, that flesh in us, that so easily can rear its head and draw us away from God. How do we do that? How do we put it to death? I'm not going to preach that whole sermon again. Check out the tape it's, or the digital, whatever it is. It's there. But it's setting our minds on things of the Spirit. It's walking according to His strength. God has given us everything we need. Everything we need to live a victorious Christian life and experience life and peace. Verse 6 of chapter 8. Put it to death. Appropriate the power that He's given us and let's walk according to that power. How do we do that? Get your thinking straight. Set your mind on the things of the Spirit. Spend time in the Word. Clean your thinking of what's going on. I mean, we get so much junk these days if you, uh, from all sorts of sources. Clean your mind up by the Word of God. Spend time in fellowship with one another, in prayer and communion with Him. What blocks the sanctification process? My flesh. So Paul is saying in all this, Hey, take a different perspective of your tribulations, of the sufferings of life. Those are God's means by which he brings about that proven character, that righteous living where we experience then everything that he has called us to experience of life. Exalt in your tribulations because they're God-ordained means to bring about that that Christ-likeness, that proven character. And again, that only happens... Romans chapter 6, verse 12, 13, and 14, when we present the members of our body as instruments of righteousness, not presenting them as instruments to the flesh, we, we present ourselves unto Him and we walk according to the Spirit. Romans chapter 8, 19 times the Holy Spirit is mentioned in Romans chapter 8. And we walk according to the Spirit by setting our minds on the things of the Spirit. You see how crucial Romans chapter 5, 6, 7, and 8 is? I mean, it is so valuable. And especially Romans chapter 8. That's why we're spending like four or five weeks in Romans chapter 8. It's crucial because we will not persevere in suffering without the Holy Spirit. And He won't do its, its appointed work in our life, proven character, apart from the Holy Spirit's power, enabling strength. And if that proven character is not being formed in us, we're walking through this life hopeless. But we can have hope Because of the Holy Spirit working His life in us. Now, having reviewed all that, let's get pick up again in Romans chapter 8, where we left off last week. Verse 18. Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 18. And if you don't mind, I'm, I'm just going to read through the rest of this chapter so maybe we can get these thoughts all put together. I'm reading from the New American Standard Version, and verse 18 says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared to the glory that is to be revealed to us or in us or even for us. Verse 19, for the anxious longing of creation waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself also will be set free from the slavery to corruption into the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of childbirth together until now. And not only this, but we ourselves also, having the first fruits of the Spirit, we ourselves groan within ourselves, waiting eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our body. Verse 24, 
for in hope we have been saved. But hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what they've already seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it. And, verse 26, in the same way, the Spirit also helps us in our weakness. For we don't know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit of God Himself intercedes for us with with groanings too deep for a word. See, all of creation is groaning. We ourselves groan within ourselves, but he says, hey, the Holy Spirit is even going to groan for you. Verse 27, And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose, because those whom He foreknew, He also predestined, to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he has also glorified. So, verse 31, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God's the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, and yes, who was raised, who's at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation, distress, persecution, now we we come full circle from the beginning of chapter 5, we can exalt in our tribulations, because who's going to separate us? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, sword, for it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We were considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I'm convinced there's hope. I'm convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, what Paul is doing in these verses, he's saying, I want to give you four reasons to be encouraged while you're living in this wretched world, this world of sin. Let me give you four reasons to be encouraged. We're going to look at the first of them this morning. Here's the first encouragement. Encouragement comes in the midst of suffering by not dwelling on the present, but by hoping in the future. Present dilemma, don't focus on that, but on future glory. Look at again back in verse 18. He says, For I consider that the sufferings of now, in this present time, are not worthy to be compared. Don't even come close to comparison to what is awaiting us, the glory in the future that will be revealed to us. Now, I like that word where Paul says, I consider Paul was a very logical type thinker. In fact, that's what this Greek word means. It's it's where we get our word logical or logistics. For I consider, it's like Paul is going through some rough times in life, and he always did. Maybe it was a shipwreck or it was a beating. It was a stoning here. It was, you know, something going on here or there. And all this stuff has happened in Paul's life. What does he do? Bite his fingernails down to the nub and say, oh, you know, what's happening? Oh, Lord, help me, help me. No, he said, I consider He said, I'm going to stop, take a deep breath, and calculate 
cool, calm, and calculated. I consider. I'm going to logically think this out. And what does he conclude? He said, I'm considering that everything I'm going through, I could put it on this part of the scale and it won't, it will not hold a candle to the glory that's going to be revealed. To what awaits me as I persevere through this? It's hard to do sometimes when, as the hymn writer said, when sorrows like sea billows roll. It's hard to sit down and calculate and consider. But this is what Paul was doing, and he invites us to do the very same thing. In the midst of the pain and the suffering and the excruciating situations we may find ourselves in. He invites us to sit down and consider that what I'm going through is not worthy to be compared to what one day I'll experience. Don't let present pain, don't let that emotion of that present suffering rob you of thinking truthfully of what is yet to come present sufferings can't be compared to future glory no there's no guarantee that we're tomorrow something tragic is not going to happen in our life no guarantees of that but that's what we do here we we open the bible we teach the bible and we talk with one another well i i'm doing all the talking but we we converse mentally together and are reminded that when that happens tomorrow no matter what it is we sit down and consider, wait a minute, there's some, God is forming something in me. And that future glory that's going to come far outweighs the pain I'm presently going through. Look, I've never, I've never delivered a baby. I've seen my wife do it four times. And it's not a fun experience, so I've been told. In fact, our second son that was born up in O'Neill, Nebraska. Um, it was a very, very painful experience for Lisa. And as she was in that delivery room and I was standing next to her, holding her hand, I think, um, she looked up at my face and she saw me smiling. And in that smile, I know now she, she could have whacked me upside the head, but she didn't. What that did is give her a sense of calmness that, I, so I'm not going to die. <laughs> and in just a few seconds, little Stephen was born. And guess what? All that pain was forgotten. That future glory that came in a matter of seconds, that joy, it didn't compare to the pain that she had just gone through. Paul is saying your sufferings can't be compared to the glory that you're going to receive when Jesus Christ returns. Now, we're not alone in that frustration and that pain, verse 19, for the anxious longing of creation also waits eagerly for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And that's the fall, the curse. This world is under the curse of sin. God subjected it because of the fall of man, of sin. But in hope, verse 21, that the creation itself also will one day be set free from its slavery to corruption and to the freedom of the glory of the children of God. So it's a package deal. 
Verse 22, for we know that the whole creation groans and suffers the pains of, of childbirth together until now. Look at the earthquakes, look at the tsunamis, look at the hurricanes, look at the, all the, the traumatic events of this world. Those are birth pains, the, the mess that this world is in. But, not, but we know that this whole creation is groaning right now. One day, we know from the last book of the Bible, there will be a new heaven and a new earth. God is going to recreate it all, make it all new. And it's personified here. Creation is just waiting for that, longing for that. Verse 23, as the creation groans, not only this, but we also, having the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. In other words, the moment we trust Christ as our Savior, we get a whole bundle of goodies. The first fruits, it's the first wagon load from the harvest. It's the Spirit of God who's given to us and all the, the privileges and all the wonderful power and, and that He's been talking about as we walk according to the Spirit. But that's just the first fruits. If we're living the Christian life the way it's meant to be lived, and we are experiencing love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and, and gentleness and self-control and all those wonderful fruit of the Spirit, Paul is saying that's just the first wagon load of goodies. The first fruit of the Spirit. And so we're groaning while, he said, we are waiting eagerly for the full realization of our adoption, the full privilege of, the, of being an heir of God of what's awaiting us. Enjoy it now, but he says, it doesn't even compare to how you will enjoy it in the day to come. And so we wait, we wait eagerly for this all to take place. And then verse 24, for in hope we've been saved, but hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he's already seen? But if we hope for what we do not see, with perseverance we wait eagerly for it, and through that perseverance, God continues to bring about His proven character, His work of, of shaping us into Christ's likeness. And as that proven character, that Christ-likeness is formed in our life, we experience that, that, that first wagon load of, of wonderful fruit of the Spirit. And life on this earth is not just tolerable, but it's, it's victorious. Because we're living the life that God has made us to live in this wretched fallen world and so we can exalt in our tribulation because god's doing a purpose there's a there's a reason for it he's fashioning us doka maker a proven tested and proven and found approved of god and we're living in that experience of the christ life what paul is saying is hang in there wait eagerly for it because future glory, if you think the Christian life is great, future glory is immeasurably great. Hey, Thanksgiving is coming up and the holidays. Um, I can remember we would load up our little kids in our station wagon and we lived three hours from my parents from, on the farm and we'd load those kids up and over the river and through the woods to Grandma's house we'd go. And they'd get so excited 
because they knew what awaited at grandma and grandpa's house. Oh, grandma could, she could bake the best desserts and play with the kids. And grandpa would get out the tractor, the old Farmall M or the H, get those kids on that tractor, and they would put around with grandpa, and they could play around the farm. Oh, they waited eagerly. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? And they were getting excited the closer we got. We're experiencing that with our own little nine grandkids. Last fall, one of them came and, uh, from Charlottesville, and that, which is not that far away. We see them. It's not like, you know, they don't see us very often. But there was a knock at the door, and I opened the door, and there was little Caleb, seven years old at the time, and he looked up at me and says, I think I'm going to be excited. <laughs> Waiting eagerly. You know that word means to literally to stretch out one's neck as you're looking, as you're looking. Are you looking and waiting eagerly for what is to come? Jesus is coming back. Not just grandma's goodies or grandpa's fun. Jesus is there. Take courage, Paul is saying. As you're going through this life and the pain and the suffering, we can exult in our tribulations. Because you see, future glory, it can't be compared to the present suffering. So don't focus on present suffering because it will rob you of the eager anticipation of what God has for you as we persevere and see His work of the Holy Spirit form that proven character in our life you see, it's a no-lose situation for the believer in Jesus Christ. We get to enjoy life here with our Father and experience the abundance of that life right now in the midst of suffering and trials and tribulations because we've got a right perspective. He's using those. He's ordaining those. He's arranging those in our life to actually bring about His desired goal of approvedness. And so rejoice See God do that work. Keep your eyes on the prize and run the race because one day we'll be there. And the Ancient of Days, as it were, will slip from his throne with open arms like Grandma and Grandpa and say, Welcome home. Let's pray. Father, may it be true that as we set our minds on these things, the things of the Spirit, the discipline, Father, of, of rehearsing to ourselves the, the good news of what you've done for us, of giving us the free gift of eternal life, the enablement and the power of the first fruits of the Spirit, that we can live that, that triumphant life of victory, that see that proven character formed in our life and experience life and peace right now, but far greater is the joy of one day hearing you say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master, of your Lord. Thank you, Father, that you're doing all of this because of your love and grace. May we have a proper perspective. I pray in Christ's name, amen.